this morning, I want you guys to do something as we start out. I want you to imagine, if I asked you to imagine, what would a world look like that was filled with, immersed in, um, defined by love, kindness, joy, goodness, trust, care for one another? If I asked you to envision that world, what, what, what would you see? What kind of world would you see? Now, second question is this. What keeps our world from being that world? Now, a lot of times what we go to is we say, well, we just need to work harder at it, right? We just need to be better. We need to keep focused on doing nice things to each other. We just need to do better, and we do. We need to do better, but the reality is is that that's not gonna fix it because there are, there are some barriers that are in the way. There are some things that are in the world, the way of a world that is that kind of beautiful place that we can imagine, things like death, right? Things like sickness, things like unexpected disasters, things like tragedies and traumas, and the responses then that we have because of the fear that raises up. Because as we look into our future and we go, you know, those things could happen any moment, and so we start getting defensive. We start putting up barriers. We start operating out of fear that these things might come and how to protect ourselves from them. And so that's where you get things like you get violence and you get pushback and you get isolation. You get, you get this kind of self-centered protectionism and you get deceit and you get manipulation. So all of those things that rise out of some of those barriers, why is our world not like that world? It's not because we don't try hard enough. It's because it's really is impossible. You know, what if someone came and they said to you, they said, you know, that world, not only is it possible, but I want you to know that it's, it's coming and it's going to be here in your lifetime. And they said to you, that world's coming. What would your reaction be? That perfect world, the most perfect world you can imagine. And they say, no, it's not, it's not just out there, it's coming. I think most of us would go, yeah, you're delusional, Right? Because we, we long for that world, we wish for that world, but when we look at it, we know what stands in the way, and we know there are barriers that they're not gonna be removed tomorrow. That's not gonna be taken out. We, we know that also in ourselves, each one of us has been so broken, has been so shattered by the brokenness of this world, we've been so shaped by it and formed by it, I think we're part of the problem. Just when things might get going, going well, we, we get in the way of it. And so many of us would react to that and we'd say, you know, that's impossible. That, that world's never gonna come. It's shaped us too deeply. It's not gonna, and, and so there's no way we're gonna get everything out of the way that, that would, would allow us to see that world. That is where this thing called despair comes from. And it's a despair that I think is part of the human, just a human condition, it's a despair that we, we keep ourselves busy in life sometimes so that we don't have to really face the fact that we despair of the fact that we will probably not see the world that we wish that we could make, the world that we hope that we could experience. The people in Zechariah's day, they had the same response when he came and he told them about the future that God had for them. 
They had known 70 years of, of war and of violence and of death and of oppression and of injustice, and they had gone through this, and they're coming out of this, and Zechariah comes up and he says, you know what, God's going to bring you into a place of peace, a place of security, a place of, of joy and of just contentment, and they couldn't even imagine what that would look like. So uh, we're gonna look at a passage, the passage where Zechariah is talking about this world. So let's stand together. We're gonna look at Zechariah 8, verses one through eight. It says, the word of the Lord of hosts came saying, thus says the Lord of hosts, I am exceedingly jealous for Zion. Yes, with a firestorm of devotion, I am jealous for her. Thus says the Lord, I will return to Zion and I will dwell in her midst, in the midst of Jerusalem. And then Jerusalem will be called the city of faithfulness and the mountain of the Lord will be called the holy mountain. Thus says the Lord of hosts, once again, men and women will, will walk Jerusalem's streets with their canes and will sit together in the city squares and the streets of the city will be filled with boys and girls at play. Thus says the Lord of hosts, just because it is too difficult for this small struggling remnant of people to imagine, does that mean that it is also too difficult for me, declares the Lord of hosts. Thus says the Lord of hosts, watch. I'm going to rescue my people from the empires of the east and the empires to the west, and I will bring them back, and they will live in the midst of Jerusalem, and they will be my people who live in righteousness, and I will be their God their faithful one. Amen? <laughs> that kind of world sounded just as unreachable, just as impossible as that world that you imagined feels to be for us. For those people at that time, but did you hear God's question? He said, just because it seems impossible to you, does that mean that it's impossible for me? That's the question God always asks us, isn't it? He says, just because you've reached your conclusion about whether these things can ever be, does that mean that I've reached the conclusion of everything I'm doing? Today's message is titled, A New Conclusion. Amen? Father, today, we ask that you would be here, that your spirit would be pouring himself out, that your spirit would be flooding our, our minds and our hearts with your word, with your knowledge, with your insights, your revelation, with your, your truth. God, we don't, need, uh, we don't need more ideas. We have our own. We know that everybody has their own. We don't need a bunch more ideas floating around in our head. What we need is we need you to meet us here we need Jesus. That's all we need. He clears up all the arguments and all the, all the misunderstandings. He makes it very clear what is valuable, what is worthless. He makes very clear what is true and what is just shadow, what is just missed. So we ask that he would be here. Jesus, walk among us. Every person comes into this place, Lord. I know. They come into this place and they have the life that they're walking out of and they have that, that, that pack full of stuff. Some of it's memories, some of it's trauma, some of it's hurt, some of it's joy. 
some of its struggles, some of its strengths, some of its weaknesses, some of its hiding, and some of it's out in the light. But Father, every person has come in and you know each one of us. So meet us here in this place in that way that only you can. And speak to us that word in that way that only you can, that word that speaks to our heart, that shakes everything till nothing left can be shaken and only you remain. Father, meet us here. We pray this, Father, for your glory, for your good. In the name of Jesus, your son, because he is worthy of it all. In the name of your spirit, because without him, none of this is possible. Amen. Amen. Have a seat. So when Carrie and I, uh, we moved our family to Springfield, uh, Missouri, and we were, uh, I was going there to pastor the Covenant Church there uh, in that town. And we knew that they had some challenges. In fact, part of the reason that we were brought into that church was because they were facing some challenges, but we didn't really know the extent of the challenges, how deep some of these were. And uh, within the first year, one of the, the things that we found was one of the biggest challenges uh, for that church at the time was that they were completely upside down financially. Um, in 2007, uh, 2007, they had leveraged everything they had, and they had gone and they had uh, bought this piece of property because they wanted a, a church home. They figured if they had a home, everything else would fall in place. Um, and so they leveraged everything, and then they bought this thing. Uh, many had warned them against it. They said it was not the right place. It wasn't the right time. It wasn't the right place for them. Um, no bank in the city would have them until they went around a second time and they found one bank um, that, would uh, that would finance it. Now, if you remember 2007, <laughs> 2007 was the, um, the loosest time in all human history for getting a loan that you did not deserve, if you remember that. Um, and it, but even, even that being the, the, the environment of the day, uh, the, the loan officer that actually gave this church that loan got fired immediately for giving. That's how bad it was. Okay, so they walk into 2007, they have this thing, they think that the road's set, and then, do you remember what came after 2007? <laughs> it was 2008, and you guys, well, that's obvious. Yeah, but the, the housing market just bottomed out, it just collapsed. Suddenly, the million dollars that they had invested in this half-strip mall, it was worth $150,000, and they still owed 800000 on it. And so um, they had no idea what they were gonna do, uh, so a year after arriving, <laughs> I had the privilege of pulling the congregation together and letting them know the situation that some of their leaders had tried to keep hidden from them. And, and along with the new leadership that was there uh, in the church, we, we had to lay out our options. And our options, they were exciting. We had um, four versions of bankruptcy we could pursue, you know, from bad to horrible, and then we had one impossible miracle that might take place. And those were our options. And so um, when I went to seminary, I want you to know, uh, they did not teach any, any courses on um, commercial real estate. You know? <laughs> they didn't teach any courses on bankruptcy management or, or on um, banking politics or anything like that. And so um, all that I knew how to do was I had to learn as much as I could as quick as I could. We had to take the next right step and we had to lean really hard on God. In the end, I mean, to this day, people still are wondering, but he miraculously, we bought that building from ourselves for less than half of what we owed. We, um, it was in spite of the fact that they had, they had people that knew far more about what they were doing 
that had their intentions in this thing. They knew this was their playing field, right? This was their home turf. We had bankers and, and uh, realtors, and we had uh, land investors, you know, property investors that were involved. And in all that, we came out, and they, they were scratching their heads, wondering how we were the only ones standing in a good place when all the dust settled. I can tell you that that church, and, and for me personally, we have no idea how we got there. We could not have imagined or come up with the path that God would use to get us to that place. But that's what God does. Just because you can't imagine it, does that mean that I can't do it? When you read uh, the vision that God, you read about the vision that God was giving his people through Zechariah, and you think about the context of what they were coming out of, you can, you can understand the absurdity of what they thought they were hearing. It said, once again, men and women will walk in Jerusalem streets with their canes. I love that because you go, why did he say that, right? What, what that meant was that people were going to live long enough to need canes. They hadn't seen that for a long time. They didn't have a lot of old people around because the old people would die in these forced marches when they'd take them in captivity from Jerusalem and take them all the way to Babylon. They were dead by the time they got there. They didn't stay alive long enough because of the, the environment that they had to live in in Babylon or even when they came home, the harsh conditions. So he says they're gonna live long and not only that, they're gonna sit together in the town squares and the city squares and they're just gonna visit together. Not only have they lived long, but they've lived long together and they actually enjoy being around each other. They have the time and the energy, they feel the safety and the satisfaction to just be sitting in the town squares and talking about their lives and talking with each other about what's going on. And the streets of the city will be filled with boys and girls at play. You know, if you've ever seen pictures of uh, refugee camps, if you've ever seen pictures of refugee um, just on either side of, you know, you get to either side of a border or you see after they've made some horrendous crossing across a body of water or something, there aren't always a lot of kids involved. There aren't always, especially not out in the streets playing. Why? Because a lot of times they don't survive either. A lot of times, even if they do survive, it's not the kind of place that has the safety that you just let your kids go out and play in the streets. Yet here Zechariah said, you know what? It's gonna be in the streets of Jerusalem. You're gonna hear, it's gonna be filled with kids playing in the streets. These were visions that the people in Zechariah's day, they could not even imagine. They looked around and they saw the small numbers that they had they were still too filled with the memories of their own captivity. They were still too broken by the things that they had gone through. They couldn't even see it. They couldn't imagine it. When Zechariah said, this is what's going to happen, they said, no, you're crazy. He even suggests that we would ever get there again. We're just hoping to make it to tomorrow. But then God asks, he says, just because it's too difficult for this small, struggling remnant of people to imagine, does that mean that it's too difficult for me to make it happen? What about you? 
What are those impossible things that are in your list, your, your list right now for God? What are the things that you look at and you say, I can't even imagine, right? Some of you guys have those things in your life that you're, you're facing that they're the obvious ones that everybody around you probably knows about as well. Because you can't imagine how that relationship that got broken, how that's ever going to be restored. You can't imagine that. You can't imagine how a, a certain trauma in your life is ever going to be neutralized so it doesn't take up the whole screen of every moment of your day. You can't imagine how a disease is going to be healed or how a debt is going to be cleared that you have or how an offense that you that stands between you and another person, how that will ever be forgiven. You can't imagine that. But then there are also those things that, that come, they're, they're more interior. In fact, they're the type of things that we try to keep hidden from other people. They're those usually come in the form of questions and doubts where you say, I can't imagine, will, will I ever be that parent that I know I should be? Will I, ever, will I ever, will this marriage actually survive because there seems to be so much against it? Will I ever, will I ever overcome those, those generational things that I see in my family and now I see them starting to rise in me? Will I ever really overcome those? Now those aren't the things that we broadcast, those aren't even the people, the things that others know that we, that we wrestle with. And then there are those things that we just know. We know, deep down, we know these are just absolutely absurd, impossible things. We know that we can't even accomplish them even if we put our every ounce of our strength towards them because we know this is the God stuff, right? We go, am I ever really going to understand? Will I ever be able to come before Jesus in worship? You guys, worship's hard. We work at it, but it takes God to lift us into that place. And, and we, we sometimes we go, will I ever get there? Will I ever experience him? Will I ever truly know him? Will I ever love him with all that I am, the way that I, I really desire to do? Will I ever exhibit his character in my life so that when my life touches another, what they see is more of Jesus than they do of me? Will that ever really be? You guys, these are the impossible things, right? These are the things that we can't imagine. We can't even think of how they would ever happen. But these are also the things that God says in his word that he actually wants to happen in our lives. He is actually working every moment of our lives to bring us to that place that these things become the realities of our lives. These are the things that he is jealously seeking for us in our lives. Because these are the things that show us, that remind us of how great his love is for us. And these are the things through which he shows the world how great his love is for them through us. So it ends up that God does. He cares, about, he cares about the little things, the ordinary things. He cares about whether we live in a place that has the safety that allows us to grow old and need a cane and be able to just enjoy hanging out together with the other old people in the town squares. He, he is especially concerned about that. 
If that age, what it shows is that he has surrounded us with the safety and with the community and with the, with the life that he always intended so that people would know that God is good to his people. He also is concerned about that. If that long life, what it shows is that we have lived life as his people and he has been our God. God is also, though, concerned and jealous for a life where we get to experience the presence of God. We get to experience his presence and his power in our lives and in our church, in our community, in our everyday existence. He cares about that. In Zechariah, God tells his people that he is jealous for them with a jealousy, a jealousy for them. He has a love for them, but also a jealousy for them to enter that life that he intended. A life where every day becomes an, a, just a, a picture, a, an illustration of what it means to encounter God, encounter Jesus daily, to just be in his presence and walking with him. He says, I'm jealous for you. And I love the description. He says, I have a firestorm of devotion in my jealousy for you. Firestorm. I mean, it's this word that means this kind of unquenchable, raging fire. That's his commitment to bring us into that place and to bring us into that life. You know, this, this last Sunday, um, some of you guys were here, and um, God showed up in our worship in a way, and I, I use those words. I know that some of you guys have a theology, and you go, God's always here. I know. I know he's always here. God is always here, and he's always, but there are times that he makes himself known in ways that are unexpected. And last week, he did that in our worship. He did that at both services in our worship. Just unexpected, very personal, very powerful. The reason I tell you this is, is for a couple of reasons. One, there are some of you I know that were there and you're going, oh good, somebody else <laughs> saw that too, right? Because immediately there were people talking and they're going, did, did that really just happen? Yeah, that really just happened. This is something that, I mean, I've been in a lot of places. I've been in ministry for a long time, but I have not been in a place that, there was that sense. To me, I've sat right down over here, and it was just short of feeling an actual, just a, like a wind go rushing through this place. And another reason that I tell you guys that is because some of you guys were here, and I've talked to some of you, and you said, I was sitting there, and other people were telling me about what they experienced, and it didn't hit me like that. It didn't touch me like that. And what was coming across was they were saying, is there something wrong with me? Am I out of sync? Did I miss something? Am, am, I, just, am I too broken? To, for the, um, they're frustrated. I also wanted you to know, because some of you guys weren't there, and maybe you heard about it, or maybe this is the first time you're hearing about it, and you go, oh, really? I mean, this was the one, the one week I missed in the last six months, and that, that's it? Really? And you're thinking, man, is it going to happen again? Is God going to show up again so we can... You guys, I want you to know something. When God does something like that, he does not do it as a one-time kind of event. He doesn't do it like a magic show for us to show us what he's capable of. Always, always, it's because he wants us to know that he has an invitation for us. He jealously desires for us 
to experience him in that kind of reality, in that kind of undeniable just presence. And he is inviting us into that. He's inviting us in. And he says, you know what, if, if you'll just humbly get out of the way and give me the space, give me the room, literally the room, but also give me the room in you. Give me that heart room that I need, that I need, so that I can make myself known to you. It's an invitation. So, you know, you, you look in the Bible and, and what we read is that, that God comes out and he like demands, right? He demands worship and he demands that we be holy in our lives. He demands that we have right relationships between each other, right? He demands that we care for other people. But when we look at those things, we go, God, those are impossible. Those are the impossible things. I'm broken every time I try and get in that right relationship. I mess it up, right? Every time I go to worship, it seems like I'm in my own way. I'm the one that keeps me from being there before you. I want you guys to hear this. God never demands from us something that he will not give to us because he knows that all of this is so far beyond us. Do you know that? He has to give it to us because it's impossible for us. As I was looking out around the congregation last week, what I saw was the Holy Spirit was the one who was here and he was pouring into us to give us even the words in the heart to be able to worship him in a way that allowed for his throne to be established. It says that he's established on the praises of his people. He's enthroned on the praises of his people. Well, it's not just the praises we draw up. We're not that good. It's of his people that his spirit is able to pour through and to give us the words and give us the heart and give us the praise to be able to lift up a place where he can be enthroned. But to do that, I mean, we gotta get out of the way, right? He doesn't show us this work so that he can show us what, you know, um, how it looks so we'll work hard to get better at it. It's not about working hard. It's, about, it's kind of about letting him, giving him more space in us. He doesn't do it so that we can know how bad we are at it. <laughs> Sometimes we think God does stuff like that so that he can go, see, see how bad you are at it? That's why I'm not here, Right? <laughs> He always does it as an invitation just to let us know. Let us know. And he is jealous for us, a firestorm of jealousy to see us get to that place in the same way, just like he is jealous and he intends for his people to live in peace and to, and to live in this place where they're in security and satisfaction in our lives. So again, I'd ask you, what are your impossible things? What are those impossible things that you hold on to and you say, I can't even imagine. Can't even imagine how God would change this. Because God is inviting us. I think God's invitation was last week, but it, it extends now. It's out. Doors open. God's inviting us to a life of impossible things. Do you believe that? God is inviting us to a life of impossible things. So how do we enter into those? First of all, we need to know it's all about Jesus. That's it. 
Sometimes we come into this place and we kind of hedge our bets in this place, right? We have this kind of piece of our spirituality and then we have our, our kind of semi-Buddhist kind of spirituality that we do at the yoga studio or something and we have our, our kind of our, our materialist spirituality, you know, that we're just working hard out there and getting a career going so that just in case God doesn't exist, we still got our bases covered and we got, our, we got maybe a personal kind of self-help gurus or something that we're kind of... He says, you know what? No, it's about Jesus. It's about Jesus, where he is, he is the way, the truth, and the life. He is our only way, our only truth, our only life, our only pursuit, our only goal, our only priority. And it's not about experiences for ourselves. It's not about going through life and gathering as many spiritual experiences, going to places to make sure you know, we're always there when God shows up. It's about him. So starting out, either he is our whole devotion and our only Lord, or none of this is possible. But if he is, then he says he will lead us into that life of impossible things. Second, second is this. It's about humility. It's about us getting out of his way. It's about us letting him work, about humbly acknowledging that I can't do this. And not just once. It's about waking up every morning and saying, you know what, Jesus? I can't live this day the way you need me to live this day, the way that you want me. I can't experience the life that you want me to experience in this day unless I give this day and I'm just out of the way for you. I can't do this unless your Holy Spirit is poured out within me and he empowers me to live the life that you've called me to. And that's, that's true with the ordinary things, right? That's true with, I can't, I, can't, I can't get to a place of security and satisfaction where I sit with my cane in the village squares. I can't get there without Jesus, let alone get to that place that I am encountering and I'm walking with Jesus every day. Can't do it. Third is this. It's all about trust. We have to trust that firestorm of devotion that he has for us because we will never even be able to imagine the things that he's calling us into. Right? I will never be able to imagine from my life presently how he's going to get me to where he wants me to go. I'll never, I, I can't imagine where he wants to get me. I can't imagine how he's going to get me there. And so I have to trust him. I have to trust, I have to trust his wisdom. I have to trust his timing. I have to trust that if I ask him to do something and he doesn't do it in the way that I would hope or the way that I could imagine, that I still trust that he's always working to do something beyond what I can imagine. Right? It's all about Jesus. It's all about humbly getting out of the way. It's all about trusting and leaning into him. To close, I want to leave you with these words. It's a prayer from Ephesians, Ephesians 3, 14 through 21. The Apostle Paul, he's praying for this church in Ephesus. He's praying for these people. And he says this. So close your eyes, because I want you to hear this prayer and know that this is, this is being prayed over you, not just by me. This wasn't just Paul. This is, this is the prayer Jesus prays over us. But Paul said, I bow my knees for this reason. I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives this name 
that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory, his ability, to be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner person so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith and that you being rooted and grounded in love might be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth and to know, not just in our heads, to experience, to know by experience the love of Christ, which surpasses all knowledge, that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. And then he closes with this. And now to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or imagine, according to the power that works within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen.